Welcome to another episode of Reverse Ambition, a podcast that features those that take a leap of faith to follow their dreams and passion. My name is Kelsey Cooper, aka The Social Broker. I'm excited to have today's guest. She describes herself as just a girl who decided to go for it. She's an actress, host, a sought-after speaker. She's the go-to girl for smart and engaging discourse around body, body positivity, beauty, wellness, and women issues. She's the host of BET's Don't Touch My Hair talk show, a topical series that addresses the concerns of black women. She's also the, a published writer who has penned pieces for CNN, Essence, Nylon, The Huffington Post, Ebony, The Griot, Vibe, and many, many more. Additionally, as a speaker and host, she has graced the stages of Essence Festival, the National Urban League, Blog Her, the Great Girlfriends Conference, and Ambassador Khan. Recently, she is she is co-star, she co-starred on CBS FBI Most Wanted and will co-host on the upcoming season of Stars, Power Book to Ghost. Please w- welcome Raval Davis. What up, girl? Hey, <laughs> you never realize how long your bio is so uh, somebody reads it. And you're I'm like, saying, yo, listen, I, I had to cut it down. I had to cut it down a little, little bit. <laughs> oh, God. It's dope, though. It's all dope stuff. I didn't mind reading it. I'm sure my listeners won't, won't mind hearing it, yo. I'm excited for Thank them to hear your journey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's get this started. So what I usually do, my first question is, take me through your journey, starting from where you're from, where you went to school, where you went to college, where you majored in, and then walk us through the journey in terms of where you are now and how you got here. That works? Woo, that's a lot, but sure, let's do it. Let's go, I'm excited. (laughs) Let's go, let's go. Um, All right, so I'm from D.C., from Washington, D.C. Okay, Um, Chocolate City. Chocolate City, the original Chocolate City, although things are changing, you know. But um, I love D.C. I love that I'm from D.C. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to, and so since we're talking about schools, I know you're talking about college, but I have to shout out my elementary school, um, Nanny Helen because it was such What's the name of it again? What's the name? What school was that? Nanny Helen Burroughs Elementary School. Okay. And it was so impactful um, to go to school there. I actually did, uh, recently did a commercial with one of my teachers, my fifth grade teachers, Mr. Wills, who just like transformed my life. I was a writer or he saw that I was a writer actually while I was at that school. He gave me this book of poetry by Nikki Giovanni. Mm -hmm. And um, that was my first, like my favorite writer. And also that while we were there at that school, he would give us these um, African, not even African-Americans, but necessary, not necessarily African-Americans, but people in the African diaspora, right? So it could mm-hmm. be anybody from like Queen and Zinder to like Madam C.J. Walker, all of these people that we had to look up each month, find out who they were, and we would do reports on them. Wow. Um, elementary like, school. <laughs> an elementary school. Wow. And it was a lot of work. <laughs> I can imagine. But it gave us such an um, amazing foundation to understand um, 
just, you know, I am an African-American woman. So to have such pride in being black and being in, in black culture and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when you go out into the world, you don't always find that, but we had that foundation. And so, yeah, I got to shout out my elementary school. Nice, nice, (laughs) nice. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, DC is awesome. Um, after that I went to, well, I obviously went to middle school, but I went to Duke Ellington school of the arts, which is a pretty famous, uh, school. Uh, Dave Chappelle went there. Um, we've got some other famous people that are not coming to my mind right now, but, um, like Stevie wonder would drop by. It was an art school. It is like the movie fame. And I was an acting major. Nice. Also like such an amazing like opportunity and I learned so much and that really developed who I am. I then graduated from, from um, Duke Ellington school of the arts and went to Rutgers and on Rutgers, New Brunswick and went to Mason Grove school of the arts where I was a double major in, well, initially I was an acting major, but I became a double major in acting and English. Mm-hmm. I ran the newspaper there, the black voice Carta Latina, um, connected with Alfred Edmund of uh, black enterprise who really became a mentor also connected with, I'm sure, you know, Daytuan Thomas. Mm-hmm. Do you know Daytuan so, yeah. Thomas who is, yeah, currently runs what vibe and billboard. Yeah, and it's, cool, it's just guy, like a cool guy, real cool. Yeah. yeah, in journalism. So met him when I was in college, him and Keith Murphy and um, all of those people kind of, you know, took me under their wing, t- you know, to a certain uh, extent and helped me get into the business of journalism and, and writing. So so yeah. after college, that's what you did or what did you do after college? Yes. So um I started out at Vibe working under Danielle Smith. So, and let me just say this, I majored in acting and really my dream and hope for a long time was to be an actor. But when I was in college, uh, the woman who ran our program had this conversation with me uh, at the time. There were maybe two black women uh, who were like major actresses, which were Halle Berry and Angela Bassett. Like they were kind of the only working black actresses at the time who had like major careers. Mm -hmm. And um, she had this conversation with me that basically was like, listen, you're a black woman. It's going to be really hard for you to get work. Um, so, you know, you got to go into this knowing that, and I, you know, I'm like 18 years old, I'm like 17, 18 years old, uh, in my freshman year of college. And then she also said, and you have to lose weight. Like, you know, she was an advisor. She ran our program. She's in charge of the, uh, BFA, the bachelor of fine arts program, um, at, (laughs) at our school. And, um, I mean, she wasn't telling me things that I had not heard ever before, but in that moment, it was really discouraging. Um, so, you know, and, and, and I think it's not, it's not like this thing that no one's ever heard of that, you know, most actresses are very thin and, and will do lots of crazy things to stay thin, you know? Right. And we didn't have, you know, 
as many different types of people on television as we do now. Like, listen, don't give her no pass. She was horrible. She was horrible. (laughs) I thought she was horrible. Like, you know, this is you're 18 years old. You know, this is what you wanted to do. She didn't tell you anything that will inspire you to move forward. I'm like, wow. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just had to say that. (laughs) I had to to say that. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It was actually like, you know, very discouraging. Uh-huh. And so um, so I was also a writer. So that's when I really, it discouraged me to the point where I was like, okay, clearly acting is not going to be a way that I can actually make money and support myself. Mm-hmm. So let me, what else am I good at? And so I was always a great writer. I fell in love with it. Like I said, when I was in elementary school, I, I uh, won awards like when I was a kid for writing. So I said, let me go be a journalist. And yes, yeah, so when I graduated from college, um, I started out at Vibe working under Danielle Smith. Um, I went from there to like Word Up, Hype Hair, Today's Black Woman. And um, I helped Angela Simmons start her magazine, The Rundown. At the time, I was on Run's house with her, which was really cool and because it was like my first year out of college, every thought everyone thought I was like famous and rich, which oh, is not the case. We <laughs> just had access. You had access, though. Yeah, but I think people definitely at that time had this false impression that if you were on TV, you know, like, oh, oh my gosh, and right, like, nope, I'm making twenty five thousand dollars. Damn, year, you know. Okay, so this yeah, is just starting out. Starting out, that's around how much money you made. Yeah, I, I I may have made thirty, like, but definitely like thirty and under. Were at you living time, in New York at the time? I was in New York. Um, that's what you made starting out as a, in as a editorial assistant, um, as a journalist in New York. Even had roommates, of course. You know, went through all yeah. of the roommates. <laughs> um, but it was good times. Right, right. I mean, you go. You were chasing your dreams, kind of, sorta. Um, as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was how you started. How did I go? How did the writing profession go? And when did you oh, yeah, decide to just go for it? Yeah. Um. So it it was it went great. Um. I I really liked what I was doing for a while. Um. But. At some of these companies, I kind of just felt like I was just like pumping out stories all the time. I eventually became the entertainment editor at Honey Magazine, working under Chanel Odom, nice. which shout out to Honey, right? Um, Honey was such an amazing publication. Uh, we did great things uh, there. I want to say we gave Nicki Minaj maybe her first cover. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and we gave Solange, not if not her first cover, one of her more iconic covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, back before the cranes were in the sky. Right. We saw that. Um, and we did like lots of fun and cool things, but the industry was changing at that time. And mm-hmm. so, literally, I mean, to this day, I still haven't been paid probably for the last, <laughs> I don't know. The industry changed that quickly or? I'm sorry, what'd you say? Did the industry change that quickly? You know, where they stopped making money? Like yeah. yeah, I mean, the industry literally changed. And people, that you, if you talk to people in journalism during that time, 
they will tell you like, and this is like, you know, early and mid 2000s kind of thing. When everything started to go from print to digital, mm-hmm. basically, and, and, and anybody actually would remember this. You didn't have to be in the industry to to notice, like, all of the magazines were disappearing. Newspapers were disappearing. Mm-hmm. And even digitally, you know, if you weren't making a certain amount of numbers, you know, it just you had to get clicks kind of thing. And we were doing really well at that, but we were being privately funded and that funding uh, dried up for honey at Mm. that time. And literally it was like, we didn't know, you know, what was going on on the business side because also with journalism, you, you, people will tell you like, it's like church and state. It's like the business side there, you know, (laughs) there's the publisher and their whole life and what they're doing over there. And then there's the editorial side and Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, the only people that are really talking is the editor in chief and the publisher, everybody else is kind of very separate. So we literally like came in to get checks and it was just like, it would be like, Oh yeah, they're going to be ready. You know, we'll get, we'll give And then it was just like, Oh, the offices are closed. Wow. (laughs) How did you deal with that? How did that, how did you handle that? Oh my God. It was so stressful. It was, it was really stressful. I remember like telling my mom and my mom just, you know, she didn't work in the same, she wasn't familiar with the creative industry. So she was just like, that's like, that can't happen. They can't just not pay you. You know, like, what do you mean? And it's like, ah, that's what they did. You know, I even, um, I actually went through the steps of going to court to try to get, um, get paid for the work that I had done. And, um, there was just no one to collect the money from. Like wow. they just, you know, it was the money was, was gone. Wow. <laughs> you know, it was a great win. And there's so many like amazing people that can tell you about this experience. Um, mm-hmm. Demetria Lucas was there at one time. Um, Allison Leak, like these are you know other journalists who have you know started their own uh, businesses now. Chanel Odom also was there. Um, uh, Erica Ramirez, like all of these people who work at like these other publications or have started their own brands now, like they remember those days. Wow! But all was not <laughs> all was not lost. You got to just keep moving. How did you and keep moving? How did you keep moving? How did you keep moving? How were you able right. to pay your rent? How do you keep moving? <laughs> How do you pay your rent, Lord? Yes. Well, the thing, the smart thing um, that I did was. Um, even while I was at Honey, before there were any signs of trouble, I was always freelancing. One of the publications I freelanced for was Essence.com and, and Essence Magazine, mm-hmm. um, thanks to this amazing editor, um, Yolanda Sanguini. Yes, Yolanda Sanguini. I met her like at a press junket. I want to say it was like a Tyler Perry movie, like back in the day, it was, like one, maybe his first or second movie or something. Mm-hmm. And we met at that junket network. And I was like, I, I've always wanted to write for Essence. You know, I've always wanted to be a part of Essence. And she was like, oh, then you should. Wow. And literally it was that simple. And um, I started writing for Essence. So at that time I started doing a lot of freelancing. I freelance for Essence. I freelance for Vibe. I freelance for Ebony. Um, and then ultimately uh, took a job at Condé Nast. Mm-hmm. How was that? How was that transition to? Was that more corporate vibe, or you know, working cool. at Condé Nast? Yeah. <laughs> what was that Absolutely. vibe like? What, like? Elaborate, girl. 
Conde Nast vibe is, um, it, especially at that time, I, I think it's probably a bit more diverse now, but at that time, um, it was, you know, they called the people that walked the halls the clackers, and it was literally the, the Devil Wears Prada. It was, it was that. Oh, wow. That's exactly what that uh, movie is based off of. It's based off of Vogue and Conde Nast. And um, initially, I came in as an editorial assistant. I took a like, few steps back because I had be- become an editor. I'd worked my way up to editor, but going into Conde Nast, um, I took a step back and became an editorial assistant to two really uh, famous editors for all of the um, Vogue's and Vanity Fairs. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, the interesting thing is, too, just being like completely transparent, the way that I got the job was um, I started working at a temp agency because, like you said, got to pay the rent. Mm-hmm. So I started, I, I started working at this temp agency and, you know, they knew I had a background in journalism and writing. And so when this temp opportunity came up to be a temporary uh, editorial assistant, they naturally, you know, thought of me. And I mean, it was an opportunity like even today, people would kill for that opportunity to go be an editorial assistant to, you know, the editors of Vogue and Vanity Fair. And this was all of the, the um, non-English speaking uh, Vogue's and Vanity Fairs, or not even, I can't just say non-English, but outside of America. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked on that. And that is where I realized that I didn't really care about uh, magazines and fashion. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was like really, really stressful. And they wanted to argue with me about how to say like names of fashion houses that I didn't care about. And so from there, I transitioned into marketing at the same company and started working in uh, marketing at Condé Nast and then went on to have an entire marketing career. Um, How was that? Went from, what'd you say? How was your marketing career? How was that? How was that experience? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's where I really found my footing as an executive. Um, I went from Condé Nast to a company called Primary Wave, where we uh, managed uh, Melissa Etheridge and CeeLo Green and a lot of other people, which that was actually kind of my first foray into the music industry, but still working as a digital marketer. Mm -hmm. And from there, I went to a major label, went to Sony Music, um, and was the director of digital marketing there and worked on really cool projects like uh, Prince and Michael Jackson. Nice. Um, yeah, Yo Gotti. I mean, it really ran the gamut. Like, uh, I worked on Bobby Shmurda. I, I did the rollout did you? for, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wave was so crazy. It was a crazy wave. And uh, yes, that, that was my digital marketing. I, I can't take credit for all of it because he was, such, he is such an amazing like phenomenon and such a great, he was such a great kid at that time. He's mm-hmm. obviously a grown person now, but um, yeah, he's just charismatic and amazing. So he created a lot of that on his own, but we were able to really kind of take it to the next level and create this amazing wave in music and in New York in general. I remember when like Jay-Z called the office, you know, like, Oh, word. <laughs> like, yeah. Like called and was like, I, I got my eye on, on him. Like, yeah, wow. you, you guys are killing it. Yeah. 
It's unfortunate it was, what it happened to him. It's been very unfortunate um, what has happened. Um, and, I, you know, I have faith that he will he'll come back from that. I know, but he had such a so, momentum. That's like the height of his his fame, you know? Yeah, yeah it was huge. The momentum was so major. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean... I won't. I won't get into the politics of that, but it's like you said, very, very unfortunate um, how things went with that. But um, yeah, so worked on him. I don't know if I mentioned Tamar Braxton. Lots of um, you know major artists. But the thing about it was that um, that music was never really my passion. Mm-hmm. I got to be somewhat creative. Uh, but it was still very much a corporate structure. It was very, very stressful. And I would be working until like, I remember being in the Sony building, uh, that iconic building, I think was the address 500 Madison, I think is what it is. It's on that. Yeah. And being there and I was remember being there so late one night that the lights turned off in the (laughs) entire building. Wow. (laughs) Were you at least getting paid though? By then? You said, was I at least getting paid well? Yeah, compared to how you started. I was. Yeah, 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 I was. That that was the one thing I think that kept me there. Mm. You know, it was like, that was the most money that I had made and being a director. Um, and you can definitely get sucked into, into all of that. The comfort of the check and, you know, just being a woman and being an executive and everyone, you know, you go into the boardroom and it's like, what's this person wearing and what shoe is she wearing? Is this really? a Louis Vuitton? And, you know, it's, there's all of these politics that come into play, which I had never really been into. But once I got to that level, I was all of a sudden like, oh, I need to buy a Chanel bag and damn. I need to get Seen up all your damn check. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. The check, the checks are good. The checks are good. Um, for sure. Nice. But um, I ultimately realized, like, just being so stressed, I, I started to question, like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I was just like, is, and I kept saying to myself, what am I passionate about? I'm not passionate about this. And um, I asked, I, I talked to one of my friends. I don't know if you know Miles Marshall Lewis. Um, mm-hmm. Name sound is, familiar, though, but... Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty um, well-known writer, um, also from the Vibe days, and mm-hmm. has written lots of cover stories for Essence and blah, 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 and and, and, and a few books as well. Nice. Um, he gave me this book called The Vein of Gold um, to help me find my passion. That happened, and then also um, one of my good friends suggested that I go to Tony Robbins' Unleash the Power Within. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you did you do all that? And I did. I did do all of that and I walked on fire. You what? Um I don't know. Do you are you familiar with Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within? I I'm familiar with Tony Robbins, but I don't remember. I'm not familiar with Walking on Fire. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So so when we when we finish this, you'll go like go Google the pictures of like Oprah. You know I am. Um or the video. Oprah like walking on fire um but that's like his big thing that was like one of his his big draws or what he's really well known for um so I did all of that and I would say that that was really the 
it 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 was a, a a process over time of me just getting tired of not working in my purpose, but mm-hmm. that really was one of the major catalysts to um, me pursuing my my career that I'm now in as an actor mm-hmm. and a host and doing all and like and just like stepping into my purpose. Right. So after the Tony Robbins Walking on Fire, what did you do to like f it f music industry? I'm I'm going to be an actress. And where did how did you start that? Yeah. How did you start that journey? Like <laughs> Yeah, um I know it's like it was such a journey. Um <laughs> how did you start the journey? Well, for one, um I, I guess so 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 that program, the Unleash the Power Within, it causes you to really want to make a drastic change in your life. He does this thing where he takes you through a meditation. It's kind of like a negative meditation of what your life will be like Mm. if you don't pursue the things that you truly desire. Yeah. Like if you don't, if you never go after that girl that you really want, if you never try to get that job Mm. or start that business or whatever, what does your life look like? And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, now you're 40, now you're 50, now you're 70, you're 80. Like what's going on? So, I mean, are you married to somebody that you hate? Cause wow. you didn't go after the, the, the guy that you liked, you know, whatever. And he takes you through that <laughs> meditation. And when I tell you you're in there with people, people were like wailing and crying. It was such a transformational moment. And um, it really was that for me too. You were willing like, and crying. Were you crying? I was. I did cry. I definitely did cry. I wasn't the person wailing though. <laughs> <laughs> I did remember there was a person in me that was literally like wailing. You like probably had a one eye open. It was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it was like we were at the funeral, and you know, the whole family had died or something. Somebody uh-huh. was wailing. Something, you know, right. Um, Yeah. But so I knew I had to take an action to change my life, but I didn't know how to do it. Mm. And I think that's a really honest place to be. I knew I wanted to become, I had decided, and I always knew in my heart that I wanted to be an actor. But the thing that I did that really like changed everything was I sent out an email to every person that I knew at the time which included, you know, like celebrities I'd worked with, uh, artists, managers, regular people. We went to kindergarten together and I had your email address. You got the email. And it was basically an email that was just like, hey, I know I've been working as a music uh, executive, but I really want to be an actor and I have no clue how to do it. If you know anybody if you have any information i would love you know to have it or know that person and that did a few different things for me because for one i was really afraid of what people were gonna think right you know i was bold i was bold well i can be extreme but this it, it it worked for me in that sense because I had this fear of like, oh, what are people going to think? People are going to say, oh, this executive now, she wants to be talent. Okay, Mm -hmm. she's crazy. You know, like people are going to laugh kind of thing. And I actually talked to my therapist about this and having this fear of people. And she said to me, who are the people? Mm -hmm. And 
I was like, well, you know, the people, the people are going to be like, and she's like, well, how many people are we talking about? She's like, is it like thousands of people in an arena? Like, are we talking about like a few hundred? Like, what are we talking about when you said these people? And it really made me realize like, okay, yeah, I'm really probably just talking about my friends, you know, and a few family members. It's probably like less than 25 people that I think, you know, maybe some old coworkers, maybe we'll, you know, say it's 30 people who are going to be laughing and looking at me like, what is she doing? Right. You know, so that, that helped me to make the decision to like actually reach out kind of thing. But the crazy thing was that um, the response to that email was just like, it was so much love. Like it was, it was like, yeah, it was, it was great. It was, what was the response like, like? What were people saying? Uh, people said things like, I I knew you were a creative. I was waiting for you to make your move. Wow. Like I knew, like it wasn't a surprise for people. <laughs> people were wow. like, I, I was waiting to see, you know, when you were going to do what you were going to do. Cause that wasn't really you kind of thing. And people were just excited. And a lot of people actually responded with resources. So um, some people just like were, were like, oh, my cousin's an actor in Atlanta. Let me connect you guys. And that, and I was able to have a phone call with somebody who was really doing it. So that was great. Wow. And then also one of my friends who's a TV personality, um, once upon a time was pursuing acting. And she was like, oh, I had this great agent back in the day. Let me connect you guys. And, you know, maybe you guys can work something out. You know, it was a shot mm-hmm. in the dark. She hadn't talked to her in forever, but she was like, yeah, I'll connect you guys. And uh, I wound up uh, meeting with her. She she liked me. We met in in that meeting. She decided that um, she wanted to work with me, like right there on the spot. Wow. Which I was was this like your first yeah. meeting? That was like my first meeting. Wow! It was my first meeting, and she was like, "Yeah, I think you're great. Um, I can do a lot with you. Yeah, let's work together." <laughs> like, so you were afraid of nothing, huh? What'd you say? You were afraid of nothing by sending out that email. I don't know. I think I was in such an excited place that, and when I got those responses, Mm -hmm. it was really so encouraging that Mm -hmm. like fear didn't come into play anymore. Mm. I'm sure I still, I still had some fear of like, not knowing what the heck I was doing, you know, going to meet with this woman. Right. But I was just like, you know, it's kind of like when you're starting at the bottom again, because that's literally what I felt like I was doing. I was like, I've worked how, all these how years. How old were you around the time? How old were you around the time? Oh, goodness. I was 30. I think I was either 30 or 31. Okay. But by industry standards, I think I was 31. Yeah. By industry standards, too freaking old to be starting a mm-hmm. whole new career and starting an acting career. Like of all the industries to be starting. Right. You know, right. people feel like you need to be an actor at like, you know, you need to be an ingenue at 21, at you know, 19 mm-hmm. kind of thing. We did it anyway. Um, That's dope. Yeah, but I, I had to, like, as I was, I was, and that's the thing is when you do start from that level, it's great because it's like, you don't have anything to lose. Right. You know? Right. Like, <laughs> right. It's like, this can, 
can't get, I'm literally at the bottom of the totem pole. This can only just get better. They're mm-hmm. either just going to say yes or no. If they say no, I'm at the same spot where, where I started. Right. If they say yes, if they, they do want to work with me, then, you know, on to the next level kind right. of thing. Did you leave the in- industry, mm-hmm. the music industry? I mean, Wait, at that I'm time, sorry, that again? did you leave the music industry at that time? After you you said, sent, did I leave the music industry? Yeah, after you sent your email, you know, were you Ooh, still in the yeah. industry or did you leave? Yeah. So I left the music industry. I took an additional uh, role at um, President Obama's My Brother's Keeper uh, initiative, doing digital marketing for um, the New York branch under Mike Muse. Okay. Um. Yeah, in association with the SBA, the Small Business Association. And um, that was like my last kind of role in marketing. Um, that was a step outside of music, but still in the digital marketing field. And that came to a close, obviously, because the president was no longer in office. Oh, my God, we need him now. Um, Man, do we? Okay, SOS, Obama, SOS. <laughs> lord of mercy lord help us (laughs) help us but so that came to a natural uh close and at the same time i had been planning to uh make this move at the same time so Mm -hmm. yeah it really worked out so how that transition was kind of smooth or was it you know you start from the bottom again um after you after you're meeting with with your now aging how did that flow man um i was really excited um the one thing i will say too is um prior to working for um on the my brother's uh, my brother's keeper initiative um the last company that i worked for at the major label they had to give me a small payout right so Mm. that I utilize that and I always say people like when they're about to make the cliff jump, like if you can save, it's great. You know, I was not a saver, but thank God that God was literally like, this girl is not a saver. She's going to need some money, you know, let this company pay her kind of thing. Something. And so they paid me like this sum of money and I was able to kind of use that. So I didn't feel as much stress my Mm. first year. Um, as I was, you know, going out to auditions and everything. And that was really, really helpful. Not to say that I didn't feel stress in the second year <laughs> and the third <laughs> year, you know. I definitely got to the stress part. But um, the first year, which I think the first year is so important because you really need to be, like, in a good space mm-hmm. to be able to attract the opportunities that you need to. And I started working with that agent, um, I think, it was a little over 30 days later um, that I had booked my first national commercial. Wow. Yeah. First nice. gig. Not How did you feel? How did you feel? That it, did it justify yeah. the move? The You know, the risk taking you took? When I tell you, I felt like I freaking won the lottery. So this is the thing actors will tell you, like, getting a national commercial is like a major thing. And for that to have been the first thing that I booked was really just confirmation. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was so good because it wasn't like, you know, like a cute little job where they were like paying me $1,500 or something like that. It was like a really nice check. 
They flew me to Miami. They treated me like I was Beyonce. Okay, nice. like <laughs> nice. I had my own trailer, and when if if I I remember like stepping out of my trailer and saying like, oh, I need to go to the store and get something, and the PA was like, oh, we'll drive you there. Wow. And I was like, the, the store is literally maybe fifteen hundred feet that way. Like, right. <laughs> I could just walk there, and he was like, no, no, we're responsible for you. So. So either I can run and get it for you or I can drive you there. Nice. And I was just like, whoa. Nice. (laughs) And a few minutes ago, you were like a miserable record, you know, exec. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry. I didn't hear the last part. I was going to say, at a few minutes before, not a few minutes before, but shortly before, you were just a miserable record exec. Exactly. (laughs) You know? Exactly. Yep. Wow. wow. I can imagine yeah. how that feel. It was so it sounded like you were so euphoric. It's like, oh my God, this is it. It was straight up euphoria. Like it was it was amazing. But um, you know, that's the thing, is like that doesn't last the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I definitely thought like, oh, this is it. Like this is gonna be like this is this is my new life. Right. Like I'm gonna get treated. Beyonce every day. <laughs> nice, <laughs> right? But how did I go then? How yeah. did, what's what's the reality of it all? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, that definitely doesn't last. Um, but I mean, it comes and goes, you know. And I think that's the thing is when you jump out there and decide to bet on yourself and do your own thing, you have really high highs and you have really low lows sometimes too. You know, you have those moments of like thinking like, oh my goodness, okay, I'm waiting for this check to come in. And they have, and because at, at that time I was a non-union actor. So mm. the, the, the thing about being a non-union actor is they have up to 90 days to pay you. Wow. And that's, that's three months. You 90 right? 90 days is crazy, right? Right. Yeah. Like a, a company, you can literally break a company. You can break a person in 90 days, like financially, mm-hmm. you don't get your money for 90 days. It's a lot. So I had a lot of those times where it's like, okay, you know, I'm trying to figure out how am I going to pay this rent or whatever I need to do, borrowing money out of my 401k to pay bills because wow. I'm waiting on a check kind of thing. So yeah, there definitely were like tough, tough times. Um, but it's it's a learning curve. It was a whole it's a whole new industry. I am four, almost five years in now, and mm-hmm. I understand things in a whole new way. But yes, I'm a full time working actor and host uh, now. I'm a union actor. I'm a SAG AFTRA nice. actor and. Yeah, it's. Um, I so, just how do you feel now? Scared. How do you feel now? You feel like you made it, or you're on your way, or you still got a lot to do? How do you feel? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I still, I feel so blessed just to to get where I am. My uh, main objective was always to be a working actor. Um, when I started, I was just like, I just want to be able to make a living doing something I love to mm. do. Yeah, and I'm there. Like, I, I literally am not stressed financially. I literally pay all of my bills. and From being a working actor. Too. From being a working actor. From being a working actor. Yeah, from being a working actor. 
and host. Um, so that was really the goal. So that is, you know, my baseline for success and what I've been trying to do over the last four years and really just coming into it in this last year being like in a space where I'm comfortable. <laughs> right. Know? Right. How is, yeah. how is, you know, the work you put in affected your, you know, your life, your personal life? Does it take a toll on anything? Is it a sacrifice you have to make? Uh, to that, I say, what personal life? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no what personal life. There is no personal life. There is only. <laughs> wow. I think my career has taken over my life, but I'm not mad about it because I get so much joy from what I do. Mm. Like, it's, I, you know, like, I remember when, like, summertime would come and, everybody was talking about all their vacations they were going on and stuff. And I used to be that person that wanted to travel all the time. And I'm just like, I kind of want to stay in New York and work. Like, wow. Or like, when Christmas would come and like the industry was shut down, I would be like, I mean, I love Christmas, but can we get back to work? Guys? Right. Like, nice. Come, you know, because like, he, he was really, loving what you're doing. You were, you were loving where you are. You were loving that you were making a living off your passion. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. I feel amazed every time I go on set and I'm like, whoa, I'm getting paid. (laughs) Right. 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 So um, you say you're five years in. Where do you see yourself in the next five? And what's your ultimate goal? Next five years. um, Definitely a series regular on... uh, a television show on a major network uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And also hosting uh, a television show as well. Um, And, you know, would love to to do some films. Um, I recently, I've done a few. Well, I've done maybe what? I've done, have I done one? I think I've done one. I've I've really been focused more so on uh, television. Mm -hmm. um, But yeah, so... I see all of that. And you said, what's like the ultimate goal? Yeah. The ultimate goal is obviously like on a spiritual level to be like good with me and God and all of that. But on like just a career level, you know, to be Oprah. Okay. Okay. Why not? (laughs) Why the hell not? Why not? (laughs) By that, by that, I just mean, like, I want to have um, enough money, power, and influence to be able to create, not only to, to act in amazing work, but to create amazing work and tell the stories of Black people, of um, women, of, you know, just to tell the stories that haven't been told yet, because I think there's so many out there i'm like i've been on a pbs like frenzy um as of late watching public television and i'm like oh my god these documentaries are so great like why don't we have scripted tv shows and films about all of these amazing people you know mm-hmm. um and so yeah i i hope to be in a space where i can really influence the industry because being an actor and being on screen is 
often it can be very influential, obviously, to the people who are watching. People need to see themselves and see a reflection of themselves, but also to be more influential behind the scenes as well. So I think, yeah, that's like the ultimate goal to be a... I think your time, I think your timing is right because I think more and more of our stories are being told and their Hollywood is finally seeing the money making opportunities in our stories so I definitely yeah. think you could do it and I think definitely think you will do it so let me wrap this up so this is a great story by the way I mean this is exactly why I do this podcast because I feel like there are so many people like you who are miserable at what they do and they're so scared to take their leap what would you advise those people that's in corporate America wherever they are not living their purpose and not loving what they do what would you advise also what would you advise somebody like 18 years old who had an advisor said lose weight and and freaking be realistic in terms of your goals. What would you advise a young girl like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, um, or I, I, what I say to that is that you are perfect as you are. And the, the reason you know that is because God created you how you are and loves you just how you are. And that's how you know that deeply. But also, whatever industry it is that someone's telling you you can't be a part of because of the way you look, the color of your skin, how your hair curls, what your body type is, whatever, that industry is actually waiting for you to be Mm. the first person or the second person to revolutionize it so that then all of the other girls who look like you can be a part of that and can see themselves and be reflected in that. And that's in industries across the board, whether it's TV, whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's in beauty campaigns, whatever it is, you know? Um, Yeah. I would say that like, there are no limits. That's dope. What about the, what about the miserable nine to fiver knows that they're not (laughs) living their passion and they may, they may forgot what their passion is, you know? Um, How do you advise them to reconnect with that and, um, do what they need to do afterwards. I like the way you said that actually too, that they may have forgotten what their passion is, because I think that sometimes is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we ever are like, it's never a case of, we don't know what our passion is. We mm-hmm. know really from the time that we're children and, and usually whatever your passion is, you probably were doing it when you were like 10 mm-hmm. and 15 and throughout your life. Um, so I think rediscovering your passion can be an amazing journey um, of just trying things out. And so maybe on your journey right now, I think like it's important to like reframe things because maybe Maybe you're not miserable in your job. Maybe it's just like that season, it's time for it to come to a close and like you're Mm -hmm. ready to explore something new and something different and try something else out, right? But I know it's hard with, um, you know, that check. It's hard to say no to the check kind of thing. Um, But I just have to encourage people that when you live in your purpose, it's just an uh, indescribable feeling, mm. you know, and you will be supported. You'll be supported by others. 
and you will be supported uh, by God, the universe, whatever you want to call it. I call it God. God will support you and have your back because God put you on the planet for a purpose. And mm. when you get into that purpose, literally nothing can stop you. You nice. know, like when you're actually using the gifts uh, that God has given you. And in the same way, the thing is, if you don't use the gifts that God has given you, you know, and really be in your purpose, that misery that we often feel, it's like, it's almost like a curse kind of thing. It's mm. like, we are, you know, put on the planet to, to, to do something, to change things for a purpose. And if we don't act out on that purpose, if we don't uh, really, you know, utilize our gifts, then I think that's that misery that we feel. It's, it's like, it's almost like a curse. It's like a lifelong curse. And you see people leave the planet who didn't get a chance to do the things it's painful, you know, mm. to see that. Wow. Yeah. Raval. <laughs> I <laughs> had an amazing time listening to your journey and I really thank you. Thank you for sharing it with me and then sharing it with my audience. I'm excited for what you're doing. I'm excited for the things you're going to be doing. And I, I'm looking forward to you giving Oprah a run for her money, girl. Oh my goodness. I don't know about all that. Manifest that. <laughs> manifestation this is like the time of manifestation i truly believe that you know and i and i think you're manifesting your 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 you know your life and i think it's very inspirational and i really really want to thank you for sharing it your story and your journey thank you so much for having me and for letting me uh share my my journey and my story you know um i really appreciate it it's all love it's all love i've been keeping my eye on you girl I'm so glad you uh, decided to come on here. Thank you. All right, girl. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Bye. Thank you all for tuning into Reverse Ambition Podcast. It is really a pleasure sharing these amazing journeys with you. It may take some time for you to find your purpose and realize your dreams or for your purpose and dreams to find you. When it happens, don't be afraid to pursue them. Be more afraid if you don't. Trust God, trust your journey, and most important, trust yourself and it will all work out. Until next time, I am Kelsa Cooper, The Social Broker. Thanks again for listening.